All right, everybody, welcome to the October. Uh, well, really, it is November, of course, but it's our presentation of the October Watchtower hunting findings and, and what we saw from the changes in the, in the threat landscape, most impactful attacks from the previous month, um, being October and even a bit of September. So this is the first month we've decided to move from the webinar, uh, more traditional presentation approach to being the, uh, the podcast. Our goal was something to set up something that wasn't the, uh, something our, our audience had to, to be sitting in front of a computer waiting for a set period of time to, to be able to see, but you can download, you can in your car, wherever you are, just kind of listen to what we saw happening in the last month as far as the biggest threats and especially what Watchtower was hunting for. So uh, do let us know, uh, reach out to us at Watchtower at, uh, at sensitive1.com. Let us know your thoughts, how you, what you think of the new format, if you like it, if you don't, if you have suggestions for further improvement, all of that is up in the air. We are listening and always devoted to making sure we provide the best service and communications to our customers, to everybody else out there that is interested in what we saw. So as always, we uh, Watchtower, we're hunting now on several, several millions of endpoints. We're in all geographies, we're in all all, uh, uh, all industries. And really the beauty of that is that we get to see so much from new attacks that are emerging and new campaigns. Uh, so it really gives us this great telemetry that we're able to use and then translate to hunt for our clients. And based on all this investigation from, from these new findings we're finding, we put out this really, really cool report every month. And uh, you now have access to that. If you have not seen it, check out the Sentinel-1 uh, Sentinel LinkedIn page where there's links to it. My personal, this is Brian, by the way, Brian Hussey, by the way, is talking. Um, we also have Drea London-Petter and Niranjan Jayanad on the, on the podcast. So I think all of our LinkedIn's probably have this uh, up there somewhere in our recent history. Uh, the, the white version is available for everybody, TLP white. It is all kinds of really good information. And for our customers, we have the TLP Amber version, which really goes into the deep dive threat intelligence. If you have a need for Amber, reach out to Sentinel-1. Um, you know, if you're doing a direct investigation to one of these, one of these attacks, we'll see what we can do. But um, with that said, uh, let's get started. So I'll do a quick intro, uh, Drea and uh, Naranja. Drea, you want to say hello? Quick introduction. Hello, everybody. I'm Drea London. I um, lead the Sentinel-1 Digital Forensics and Incident Response Team. Hi, everyone. I am Niranjan. I'm part of the Wastel Threat Hunting Team working out of India. Thank you. All right. So let's go ahead and kick off the biggest, I think, story of the month has to be Squirrel Waffle. Uh, funny name. I'm not sure where it came up with. We uh, <laughs> who came up with it. Uh, but again, it's uh, it's something we're seeing again and again and again. Uh, and it hasn't died down. I think we first identified it uh, in late September and started digging in. And we've been hunting for it since then. Uh, but it, it seems it's in its momentum. We're into November now, and it still is, it keeps going and it keeps hitting us uh, again and again and again. That's why I'm glad we're hunting for it. Uh, but Drea, could you maybe give us a background? What is Squirrel Waffle? Um, maybe a bit of why it's uh, why it's so persistent? What do we know about it? Yeah, so I'm gonna go and to your point, Brian. Squirrel waffles. Um, it's 
very active right now. And so even some of I think of the notes that I've I've been putting together um, kind of earlier last week, there's there's probably a lot more content even than this that we could share. And so um, I'm going to allow Naranjan to either interrupt or, or probably follow up at the end because I know he's been actively hunting this last week. But uh, essentially, so Squirrel Waffle is a new tool that's emerged uh, as an emetet replacement after law enforcement uh, took the botnet down earlier this year. And it's really spiked kind of since um, end of August, early September. We've seen that in lots of telemetry, you know, through Virus Total and other research organizations, obviously through our own telemetry as well. And the kill chain is pretty, pretty typical stuff. Um, a user receives an email that contains um, a, a, a link to an archive download. Um, they ex you know, click that link and it extracts um, a doc file or an XLS. It's you know, got macros. They enable those mac macros. Uh, and uh, VBA, uh, VB script is extracted from those macros, runs PowerShell, which downloads a squirrel waffle lo loader from a CNC, and then that downloads um, Cobalt Strike. So um, it's been very, very productive, as you've mentioned. A few things about it that are kind of interesting. Um, the language inside of the original emails, and, and keep in mind, these are all hijacked threads. So again, another similarity to Emetet, um, the, the campaigns are using or leveraging stolen email threads and replying to those existing email threads as, as they were already in existence. Um, and based on that and the fact that they're using the same kind of native language as those threads, we know there's some software-based recognition of region or location in the intelligence. English is still the most common language being used, but I think there's been you know, several others that have been observed and again, constantly changing. Um, I think, you, you know, think the, is, do you think, that, I don't mean to interrupt you, I throw you off, off track, but do you think this is from the same threat actors that, that were behind Emotet or is this um, just somebody filling the gap with a similar tool or a tool of similar functionality? I think that it's possible that it could be either way. I mean, they're they're using you know the same types of banking trojans um, uh, with Quackbot or Qbot as um, as you know Emetet was using. The timing is sort of compelling since it was earlier this year when law enforcement took took Emetet down. Um, but as far as you know, if we've got any other strong similarities from you know whether the, the code itself, I, I'm not sure. Naranjan, do you? Yeah, so when I was looking into this XLS droppers, they had, uh, you know, hard-coded the URLs in different sheets of these XLS files, which would be redirected from the malicious macro, which was very similar to the same pattern that we have seen with some Quackbot and some other commodity malware XLS droppers in the past. So that is like a common trend that we see. and. Uh, we don't see squirrel waffle modified uh, or evolved as a new threat itself. There has been some code similarities uh, seen with some previous known commodity malware, which I'm sure Rhea, you will be covering up in the next few minutes. So, uh, so our uh, you know perspective is that this is not completely new, but it's kind of an evolved or a rebranded uh, kind of <clears throat> malware. So it could be that. 
uh, you know different affiliates of different groups might have got hands on to a common packer or a common loader uh, program that they would have added additional modules or rewrote a part of it to come up with this squirrel waffle trojan itself as a new one uh, out there but you know underlying there would be some there there is some code similarities with some known malware that we've seen in the past so i andrea um apologies if you're just about to get to this but this has been giving security companies across the globe a fit for the last couple months um and i'm trying to determine what is it do we know even do we have an extra what is it that's making it successful Uh, yeah, Naranjan. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, uh, just like other community malware, they use this uh, malicious XLS droppers, and on a daily basis, we see close to about 500 to 600 new hashes. And the other main reason, like why are they being successful in the most recent weeks, is because the C2 domains and uh, the IPs or the infrastructure that they are using for their attacks are brand new uh, and some are being uh, you know compromised websites from where they are hosting cobalt strike or quackbot itself so it's so i would say like the success rate is mainly because of mass campaigns that they are operating with new infrastructure side of domain registrations and compromised websites that they are using to host cobalt strike and quackbot so i would say like that is their main reason for the success rate and of course since cobalt strike is used as the second level payload uh, post squirrel waffle infection there also could be different human operator ransomware groups that they might be operating along with uh, so that you know they could support to launch a ransomware attack at some later point of time if they get into an organization so uh, all in all it's like a well organized group that is working at the back end so we believe that would be the main reason for the success rate. Interesting. So it makes the whole concept of static atomic IOCs somewhat somewhat limited in its ability to uh, to to be successful. So we really need to make sure that we understand the you know all of our listeners and, and us as well need to understand that we are are have we have to understand the full kill chain to be able to really be successful in finding these finding these attacks and, and blocking them. True. Yeah. Learning the common traits of squirrel waffle infection can help us identify new droppers and track few new infrastructures as well. It's definitely an excellent point. And I know we've been seeing, you know, we, the IOCs are changing every day. And so to Brian's point, as far as, you know, we've been kind of um, running around uh, chasing this is, is those, uh, those IOCs are changing day to day and we're constantly adding them to new hunts. Um, and, and that kind of brings around, you know, in, in the Watchtower report that went out, we did have a list of atomic IOCs um, that we've provided. And I have some that I'm willing to discuss right here. It's just, you know, with a grain of salt, right? Recognizing that these are constantly changing. So um, even this data is like a week or two stale at this point. But we do have some clusters of squirrel waffle, waffle droppers um, and payloads that we've seen um, names like and they're all in this folder, D-A-T-O-P, Daytop, C colon WAC, or, you know, local disk colon WAC, Daytop. And then I think it's test.test um, or good.good. .good. 
and then like a sequence after that. So test one dot test or good one dot good test two dot test good two dot good. Um, and so that good star dot good pattern we've seen since um, I think the 4th of November. So that's relatively um, recent. Uh, and we'll we'll probably keep talking about this in next month's report, I suspect, since I know, like I mentioned, we're we're constantly looking for new IOCs right now and everything. Uh, we'll we'll want to keep you guys uh, up to date with the newest information that we have. But essentially, the presence of any of those files um, is going to indicate a squirrel waffle infection. So certainly, that's an easy thing to hunt for um, and keep an eye out in your in your environment. Yeah, and I mean to, to all our listeners, of course, from a podcast, maybe tough to uh, to write those down as you heard them, but they are in our report. Um, they we just recently have re released a, a new um, Watchtower sponsored blog under the Sentinel Labs uh, uh, name, and so so all these can be available. Just check them out, and and they'll help you to quickly identify if you if you do see an attack. Uh, it'll help you to quickly identify it. And once you do that, we've documented the entire kill chain within, within this report. So you can really see, ha have a good idea of what to expect and fast track any kind of investigation that may come from that. Exactly. Yeah. We, uh, so we'll make sure to follow up with that too. And, you know, when we um, post the link to the podcast, uh, so you guys know where to, to go to get the data. But, um, I think the only other thing that, you know, it's sort of worth mentioning and it's it's going to change every single day because we're talking about a botnet that's becoming very, very active and looking at the activity spikes right now on squirrel waffle versus, you know, maybe the peak of Emotet, it seems, you know, lower in volume, but I think it's going to become, you know, well, it's also probably a little bit more successful at the moment because it's somewhat new, but it's going to become more and more uh, active as the bot, bots become more and more um uh, you know, productive. So I think we're, we've seen somewhere around 7,400 live C2s so far. There's some other third-party companies that are seeing similar spikes to ours. Um, How many did you say? 7,400 7, live C2 URLs. So just, and, and, and keep in mind, that's that's expected to grow, <laughs> right? So yeah. very, that's, very that's already massive, which again points to why we need behavioral to really, really lock that down and, and not as much on, on atomic indicators. Right, yeah. I think even um, just within our own analysis, like within our hunt specifically, um, not using third parties and, and other intelligence sources, we've we've identified, identified over 2000 droppers um, ourselves. So it's very, like I said, very active and never changing. Yeah, and this is one the watch our team is all over. Um, and constantly hunting for making sure our clients are safe. Let me ask you, so Quackbot, um, is it all banking Trojans? Are we seeing ransomware as the eventual payload? Eventual payload? Are we see, or are we, what are we generally seeing? Uh, I know that QBot is, or Quackbot's the, um, you know, kind of most frequently seen, but I, I think that there's been some, um, I mean, and, and just Cobalt Strike in general, but as far as what you know, other end results, Naranjan, I'm not sure if we've seen anything. We haven't had any investigations on the incident response side that have um, alluded to anything else, but I'm not sure from a hunting side if we've seen anything else. Uh, from the watchtower hunting side, we have developed the deep visibility queries to pull down signals related to squirrel waffle infections. And so far, we have only seen Cobalt Strike and Quackbot, as you mentioned, Rhea. 
but uh, you know as i said before quackbot is known to deliver uh, reveal ransomware in the past and uh, you know that gives us a fear so which is why we are tracking not just squirrel waffle infrastructures but also recent quackbot infrastructures and ttps as well whenever we see a positive uh, signal related to squirrel waffle so that uh, you know there are high chances that an attacker once he lands upon an organization post quackbot he would start recording and learning about the organization before he would stage and launch ransomware so we have the rules set and uh, we are keeping a close watch but so far no ransomware infections have been spotted throughout our customer base post uh, squirrel waffle uh, was first seen early september time so it's just cobalt strike and quackbot till day i have a question about quackbot and just just in general i mean this has been around forever like 2008 or yeah. something and True. i know that there's been a lot of evolutions and changes to persistence mechanisms is there anything that we're seeing in, in the use right now that's revolutionary or, or new uh this isn't new as i said it's it's a it has banking uh trojan capabilities where it could inject into running process browser uh, processes and steal credentials they can also spam to different email addresses post compromise uh code level wise in the recent months there have been slightly modifications that have been done to quackbot source code uh but functionality wise it, they have been used for uh you know serving ransomware in the last two years at least um but it's it's all the same uh, you know again they haven't done significant changes to its operation or code level but the human operator ransomware groups tying up with these bots are the uh, you know concerning storyline that we always look for Yeah, you know, that's a really good point that you make. I mean, I guess I was like, I, I don't know. I when I asked the question, I was thinking, well, Quackbot's the uh, the payload, so they're looking at the banking trojan. They're looking for access to bank accounts, et cetera, et cetera, and that's what we got to worry about. But you make a very good point that that's you know there, there's multi-stage payloads. Like, yeah, well, they deliver Quackbot, steal money one way, and then they can leverage Quackbot to to drop whatever they want ransomware or anything else in the world so it's not like you can say well stage one done that's the impact i mean it's uh basically if you catch them in the middle of stage one you better move fast to make sure they don't get to any additional stage uh as well yeah i think we're going to see all sorts of interesting evolutions and and utilizations of this in the coming months yeah All right. So so yeah, so that's definitely the top story of the month. Uh squirrel waffle. Let's move on a little bit now. So some of the other things we talked about was this resurgence of Ragnar. Uh Ragnar a well very well known uh uh ransomware group and we're seeing a lot of new operations coming into and the prevalence right now. So um Niranjan, I'm going to hand this one off to you. Um what can, what's what's new with ragnar what do we well, what do we know about him from the past what there are some of their most famous uh attacks and then what's what's new now why are we seeing him come back in such a such a big way um sure brian so ragnar is in new for the researchers or uh research community they were first seen in 2019 uh they are known to target msps in particular in high numbers 
and then they target other industry sectors. The main reason why they target MSPs is that MSPs would work very closely to uh, you know different companies, and there are high chances that specific accounts might be misconfigured, or there is high chance for attackers to conduct an RDP-based attack, and the success rate might be high. Uh, so that may be the reason why they target MSPs in particular uh, the most. And uh, looking into the code level, Ragnar ransomware payload hasn't evolved much. They have been using a 49 KB file size payload since 2019. And reviewing the code, we have seen that they specifically look for uh, the geolocation of the victim machine. And if it's belonging to a specific countries down Russian region, they don't infect those machines, uh, just like any other Russian origin ransomware groups. So we reviewed the sample that we received through the IR investigation on Ragnar intrusion a couple of weeks back, and we saw this similar traits, uh, like they haven't done any changes from 2019, which was very surprising, but the ransomware payload itself was uh, packed using a new wrapper on top, and then it was embedded in a resource section of a dropper. So basically the payload remained the same. It's just that the way how the payload was launched was slightly different because they had a wrapper on top. They had a dropper uh, whose resource section has this, had this particular packed file and they launched it. Um, from the attack side of the story, they still relied on RDP brute forcing and um, you know they had specific company name in the log screen in the text file that generates and you know comes up on the desktop screen so all other traits traits were similar now what made it very interesting for us was in my personal opinion ragnar is i is a group that i consider as one of the most sophisticated groups um, for the reason that they are known to uh, you know use a virtual environment driver like an ISO file into which they would put their dropper and then launch a virtual environment on the client's machine and then launch a ransomware. This was not seen by any other ransomware groups uh, when Ragnar brought in this new technique. Following Ragnar, Maze also used the same technique where they used um, a package of old Oracle VirtualBox hypervisor. And both these groups have used it in 2019. So, this was like kind of an innovative way they have launched their attack. Um, no other group has actually used this particular technique before. And Ragnar attacks normally hit media headlines because they demand a lot of money, uh, you know, and they used to have this chat support in the backend where victims can discuss on the ransom payment modes and the amount with the affiliates and once the payment is being yes, when you say a lot of money like how much are we talking i think up to 13 bitcoins uh that's quite a lot of money i i don't know the exact money uh in us right, dollars i gotta, I gotta do it i gotta do that real quick let's see 13 i'm, I'm googling it right now bitcoins to us dollars so close yeah. to about eight hundred thousand dollars plus 
Yeah, but $800,000, dollars That's depending on the number of endpoints as well, Brian. So I think for one endpoint, they would charge around this and they charge an organization uh, close to a few millions if they are successful in uh, infecting a couple of endpoints. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it is obscene the what we've seen from some of the uh, from some of the uh, payment requests, you know, up to several million, and, and even uh, asking for eight hundred. I mean, really, nearly a million dollars, nine hundred grand from sometimes small businesses, sometimes or even up to mid uh, mid sized businesses. It's uh, it can be it can be crippling. Um, let me ask you one other question. Drea, uh, Naranjan, do you guys have Russian installed on your computers? Do I have much installed in my computers? <laughs> Russian, Russian language. Oh. Uh, no, no, no. No, I've done it. I went ahead and did it. I mean, we see all these, uh, I mean, I don't speak Russian. I don't speak Cyrillic, um, but we have all these malware families out there that, uh, that just you know, of course, right? <clears throat> Based on, the, it's a kind of an implicit deal with the Russian government. The Russian government's okay with them taking money from United States citizens, UK citizens, anywhere in Western Europe, or really anywhere that's not Russia. Um, they're okay with them taking money. Uh, and there's little to no enforcement of cyber corona rules. I mean, the current administration is certainly taking a, a pretty active approach uh, with Putin. Uh, will it have an an impact? I don't know. <laughs> um, and they've also been much more aggressive in actually taking uh, operations uh, to, to shut down some of these ransomware uh, ransomware and, and, and various other types of atta uh, uh, attack groups. Um, Long-term impact? I'm not sure. What we're, we're, where would we get a lot more impact, I think, is from the Russian government taking a more active approach to police their own citizens, or at least sometimes around citizens, sometimes in the neighboring communities. That's obviously is another challenge for any law enforcement because they're multinational, right? They're these groups, these cyber criminal groups, whereas nation state generally is one country, um, but these cyber criminal groups are spread all over the place. So, um, but, but yeah, we see it time and again because these, uh, these criminal groups, if it's Russian, right? If, if they attack Russian citizens, then they get the full brunt of the Russian law enforcement organization and are generally shut down. And I don't know what happens after that, but I'm imagining a gulag in cold Siberia and in a very, I don't know if this is true or not, but a pretty rough, rough time. Um, now, if they don't and they just target people like us, they get paid millions and, and uh, left alone for the most part. Uh, and unless, you know, international law enforcement's able to actually uh, uh, track them down and, and do whatever they can to, to, to take them down. Um, so for that reason, I actually put Russian language on my computer because the malware checks, it'll see, hey, is Russian, is there a Russian language pack installed? And if so, it just shuts itself down. Um, if not, then it continues its operations. Now it's not certainly not a catch all for all malware, but it's uh, it catches a good chunk of the, of the Russian cyber criminal group malware out there. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Um, in fact, I know in that interview with um, one of the the Russian Lockbit 2.0 guys that was done, I think, in August or 
September. September. He was asked about LockBit checking for Russian keyboard presence, but apparently they are actually looking for the system language settings now. Um, so that's going to be an interesting <sighs> evolution. I know, but it is. I mean, it's it's, it's 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 because it's been effective, right? So they're they're going to pivot, but um, it's definitely something that I know is widely used in our community to to at least evade some some issues. Interesting. All right. So I thought I had a really good thing going there, but you're saying it's going to become less and less effective as, as hey, these groups mean, transition. They got to keep us on our toes. Well, we would, we wouldn't have a job if they didn't. Yeah. Well, luckily Sentinel one does detect and block and prevent. Um, so I'm feeling pretty safe having Sentinel one on my system. So I guess uh, maybe my little Russian language pack um, is uh, hopefully not needed as a fail safe. I'm sure it's still very effective. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Naranta, I think this is really interesting, the idea of being able to use the hypervisor in, in, in such a way. Do you see this anywhere else with any other groups? Maze ransomware group is the other group that has uh, you know used a very similar technique, uh, but no other ransomware groups till late have been known to have used this technique. So it's just Ragnar and Maze. So if they get the hypervisor, basically, is it just fair game for everything, every VM on the hypervisor? So it's this way, Brian. So they would drop an ISO file and the ISO file would have the necessary uh, files to launch the ransomware. So basically they would bring in a virtual environment on the customer's machine and then they would launch the ransomware from there. Um, so Generally, they come up with this large file size for the reason that static detections won't happen. Or many uh, security vendors would not scan a huge size file, and they intentionally use it use this particular technique so that the files won't get detected, and then multiple unpacking of an ISO file leading to a ransomware infection is sometimes hard for few mm -hmm. vendors to detect and block. Right. Yeah, but luckily, yeah, but Sentinel one blocks Ragnar infections, and we already have a YouTube video that shows the product capability of blocking a ransomware attack. Yes, but that doesn't stop us about, from talking about others that don't <laughs> block it. Okay. Um, so, okay, so I'm reading your notes here. It's a 122 megabyte package, and that's just so big that it would be so time consuming, and malware so rarely would have such a big package. They. <laughs> They are, um, uh, they, they, they're not even being scanned basically. So that's just like a, a free bypass for a lot of security solutions to go, to go by just because of the size. And then you're telling me they drop, so they drop an ISO on every VM that the hypervisor controls and then basically infects the VM via the, the internal VM, the VM inside of the VM. Is that, am I understanding correctly? That's what's happening? Correct. So that's the way. And they also leverage the GPO to or the group policy settings. And uh, they could laterally move and then launch the inner files. Wow, that's super clever. Hmm. So when we <laughs> generally write about a ransomware infections, we try to, you know, cover on different stages of kill chain, like what tools did the attackers use? How did they use it? What are the different command line? arguments and parameters that you may have to look for as a security analyst to identify the traces of infection 
and it is on all these behaviors identified in different kill chain that we write defeasibility queries on. So, uh, so it's it's to that extensive study that we normally conduct to learn on a specific threat group. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I know we've kind of gone back and forth on Ragnar and they've been a definitely, a, like you said, very sophisticated coming up with new and innovative techniques that we are ensuring that we, that we block. Um, but yeah, that's uh, definitely interesting from, and what their kind of their, their, their newer methodologies. Uh, I'm looking at a chart here as well, showing the targeted sectors and it looks like they're all over the board here as well. They don't really seem to focus on any um, almost equal, like you said, very heavily on the MSPs, right? Which only makes sense because if you can hit any kind of a provider um, that has many companies connecting there and you can get really compromised one, but get all of their customers in one shot, that's, that's a lot of value. And a lot of money. Yeah. Oh. They, yeah, they can threaten, right? I mean, MSPs would definitely be more concerned because they are handling a lot more customer data and infrastructure than uh, a specific company, for example. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, they could get it on either side, right? You either get individual ransomware payments from, you know, hundreds of customers of a given MS MSP, or you just tell the MSP, we're going to leverage all your customers, which will destroy your business or, or at least significantly impact your business. So you give us an obscene amount of money. So yeah, it's uh, definitely, there's, there's a multi, multi-pronged attack there. Correct. Um, all right. Well, I mean, let's, all right, let's move on a bit. Uh, Mirror Blast. So this was an interesting one. Dre is going to tell us a little bit about this one. Uh, we it was attributed to a, a criminal group TA505, uh, and we've seen heavy activity from this in the last uh, in the last month or so. So, Drea, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, so um, Mirror Blast again. It's another attack, kind of coming out with um, via the phishing email attacks. Um, they're predominantly using malicious uh, Excel documents. And correct, there's attribution being made the moment to TA505 um, for a few reasons. There's some similarities in the C2 domains um, and some of the naming conventions. Uh, they're both kind of abusing LOL bin. I think there's some get and go loader that that, that was used by TA505 that's also being um, very or has some high resemblance to what we're seeing with mirror blast. Um, so, you know, as far as the attack chain goes, the user opens an attachment and, and executes macros as we, we see in so many other types of, of these attacks. The file replicates and connects out to the C2 to download an MSI file. Um, so mirror blast has the ability to abuse MSI exec and, and then download additional files. And so what we've been seeing is that there's a download of two predominantly rebull and kickstart as the final payloads. And, and this is kind of as of early, early October, um, you know, if, if some of these behaviors change, I'm sure we'll follow up in the next coming months as far as what, what that looks like. But if you're unfamiliar with rebull, rebull in itself is not malicious it's just you know one of the tools that threat actors can use to perform perform reconnaissance um 
it, it's it's super lightweight cross-platform i think it's less than a megabyte in size so it can be deployed really easily and you know it's pretty hard from a detection perspective to um to, to catch it in some of the more traditional ways uh, and again since it's cross-platform it can run on any operating system and we know how attackers love to have that kind of um, multi-tool at their disposal uh kickstart is the other um tool that we that we've seen being uh, pulled down from the c2 and it's a sort of like a free format scripting language it's got some really rich built-in functionality uh, that's been we see it being used to send victim machine information like the domain computer name username process list, the typical recon information back to the c2 and the c2 responds with a number um, and that's that indicates um what what how to proceed what's supposed to happen next and that's that's very similar with the rebull variant too so both both of these um you know final payloads are behaving in a similar fashion and um and, and as far as what the end goal is i think it's it's pretty broad and in, in range um you know so that's it brings up an interesting thing this whole lol bin lol bin however people say it you know living off the land right going in and using system administration tools as an attacker um in oftentimes a similar way to way a system administrator uses i mean this is it's an old technique well-known technique but it's still challenging i mean what are your thoughts Dre or naranjan how do we defend against a threat actor that, uh, or at least, I mean, I'm sure this is only one stage uh, of their attack and we can identify and kill them in other stages uh, in the kill chain, but specifically for uh, law bins being used maliciously, or at least in a way to, to extend an attack or knowledge, reconnaissance, whatever. Do you have any thoughts on how we can find that or block that in, in a better way? I mean, obviously we, if we don't, if we, just shut them down, then we shut off system administrators' ability to take care of their network. So I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on on that? Yeah, I mean, I think from, from my perspective, just looking at it as more of like the enterprise security leader, you know, finding ways to just standardize um, access controls and then and identify anomalous activity. But I think when it comes down to, uh, you know, what you're hunting for this type of behavior or maybe per using sentinel one or other security solutions uh, i happen to know that naranjan's a better person to answer that question so i'll pass that over to him uh sure brian so um technically speaking uh, from the behavioral perspective they are they aren't using anything new because all they are trying to do is uh you know try to steal victim machine information and they are reaching the users machine through malicious XLS file. So just like how we talked about squirrel waffle, this particular uh, loader is also kind of using similar tactics, except that it's being attributed to a known threat group. So from threat hunting perspective, we know about this particular group and they have been quite active for a long time. So uh, for blocking, it is kind of tricky because as you said, they are using lol bins. It's the best or the first thing that a security analyst or a security vendor can do is to alert uh, the customer base saying like, you know, there's a lol bin uh, being abused at your environment and we, we are aware of this, but backend what we normally do is like we do block the known infrastructure side 
of uh, indicators of compromise that we collect. So thereby, there's no data that is going to get exfiltrated to the attacker's server. And uh, from threat hunting side, we normally collect IOCs in a proactive way. So all this uh, malicious Excel, if it lands on an user's machine, they would be stopped from being executed uh, for the LOLWINS to get abused. So we are blocking from both the phases, you know, like from the start of the infection, as well as like if an infection was successful due to the policy setting uh, set by the customer as detect, detect only and not protect, protect mode, and the file was being executed, they would still be saved from the data exfiltration stage of an attack. Okay, so really, really at the end of the day, it comes down to understanding the full kill chain right. and blocking it every step along the way. So even if it's, you know, maybe it's it's challenging to, to identify a, a uh, whatever, a scan using system administration tools, but we're gonna get them somewhere else in the stage. Okay. Um, and what do we know about TA-505? I mean, I, I read a bit about them, but as far as I know, we, we're just kind of seen as more of a generic cybercrime group. Do we know anything about them? Like what region they may be operating out of, or do they have any kind of affiliation, or are they just, they're just kind of just a general cyber criminal group? Um, I know that they're like highly financially motivated. I don't have a full intelligence reading on them, um, but again, Naranjan's got that background. Uh, uh, I'm just going by your answer, uh, Drea. So the group has been active for more than uh, eight to nine years. I think from my page, I can see that they have been active from 2014. And one of their hot favorite uh, TTPs is to abuse LOLBINS. They are well known to uh, you know, be creative and abuse different uh, LOLWIN techniques to help deliver and execute their payloads. They're also known to uh, use specific infrastructure naming pattern. As Dia mentioned, they normally used CDN hyphen uh, pattern of infrastructure domain naming. And, uh, uh, you know, they're also known to serve different remote administration tools in the past. And when, when, whenever this particular group comes active, they normally would use a decent number of IOCs in their attack, and then they shut down for quite some time, for a few months, and then they come back again. That is like a common trend that we have seen, uh, and we know about this particular group. So they don't run as a long-lasting uh, campaign. They just run for a couple of days with a decent number of IOCs and new infrastructure set up, and then they shut down their operation for couple of months. And I think they're um, the Russian base, uh, right, Naranjan? I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think so, but I'm not really sure about the attribution side. Yeah, and then I think, I think you know, we see, so it's kind of to Naranjan's point, like they come and go here and there. I think like most recently we've seen kind of similar activity earlier this spring, maybe around March or April. So, um, you know, I think there's pretty strong attribution based on um, you know the the different uh, indicators and TTPs that we've seen, and it's you know even on top of that kind of common for them to just you know come and go. Interesting. Okay. So tell me about um, let's shift gears a little bit. I know we're running a little low on time, um, but Spook and Prometheus uh, two families uh, of ransomware that we've recently discussed and 
and have seen some uh, potential sharing or some of our research is showing maybe uh, some similarities uh, between the, the, uh, the, the families and maybe the threat actors behind them. So um, what do we want to talk about um, about these two families uh, of Rand Spook is very new. We, we, I know Simpson One recently released a, a video showing how we proactively block, uh, but uh, there seems to be some, some interesting similarities. Do you want to walk us through that, uh, Naranjan? Sure, Brian. So uh, as a threat hunter, we normally uh, study thoroughly on a new infection or a new malware that comes out. And is whenever it's being uh, you know, identified on a customer environment, we try to learn it in a much um, detailed way. And when Spook was first identified in September, uh, we looked at, looked at its code level. We also, uh, you know, identified some interesting images and strings uh, in its uh, ransom note as well as in its um, Tor website. And there were some similarities that we identified um, with another old ransomware payload known to be using a name Prometheus. And both these had code similarity for the reason that they were built using a common builder tool called Thanos Builder. And uh, that was our first hint um, to conclude that this would have been likely a rebranded uh, Prometheus payload now called a Spook because Spook happened to be the um, name mentioned in the lock screen. So the payload was not packed as it is. So when we just looked into the file, we saw some strings, uh, something like worker cryptor. So worker cryptor was present even in Prometheus ransomware payload in 2019. So that gave us clear indication that most likely this was being built using the Thanos builder that I mentioned a few minutes back. And then we saw few other researchers uh, talking in the same lines uh, over Twitter. And when it comes to the lock screen URL, again, these two variants shared some pattern and ransomware rebranding is nothing new. It's been happening since 2019. Um, so we were quite confident in uh, attributing it to the common builder tool that would have been used for building this new payload. And we published a public facing blog about the same findings last week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that yeah, you're right about the ransomware rebranding. I mean, it's interesting. We've seen Grand Crab turn into Revil, very famous of recent uh, recent attacks. Bitpamer turns into Doppelpamer, turns into Grief. Uh, other families such as Wasted Locker turns into Hades, turns into Phoenix, turned into Macaw. Maze turned into Sekhmet, which turned into Egregor. Dark side, it seems to be turning into black matter. We've sounds we, I mean, I guess there, there can be some. I've heard the security community have some some conversations on whether those two are really the same or just borrowing some code and working together. Um, but but it's definitely looking to be like dark side has his transition into black matter. And again, dark side very famous um for some major attacks hitting US infrastructure and, and causing the the uh law enforcement governments to take notice. Um, just a few more. Defray 777 seems to be turning into Ransom uh, EXX. Mount Locker turns into Astro Locker, which turned into Zing Locker. Baba turns into Payload.bin, which turned into Groove. Um, Synac turned into El Cometa. 
Prometheus, as you just talked about, turned into Spook. Nimti turned into Nephilim, turned into Karma. So we've seen it again and again and again. That was a, a lengthy list of these, these, these uh, evolutions, or, or even, I don't know, evolution might even be the right term. I guess rebranding really is the right term. They may not be doing something better, faster, or, or, or like that, but they are certainly doing it um, under a completely new name, new infrastructure. Is this because of uh, trying to define deflect attention from law enforcement uh, that may be chasing them down? Or is it just uh, just to kind of vary up? Do we have any idea why uh, we, we see so many of these rebrands uh, of of the uh, of these attack groups? We believe this rebranding is happening because of the pressure put um, across by the federal bodies and different uh, governments working together. Uh, the reason being that we've seen the group taking down their servers offline and then they rebrand the payload, come up with a new name and set up a new ransomware lock, you know, tor site uh, affiliated to that particular payload and group. Uh, that's because they don't want uh, their new infrastructure to be traced and, uh, you know, hijacked uh, in a very less time frame. They want to make some money They in the stipulated period of time and they would take down their server they would shut down their operation and they come back as a new form so that's a common trend that we have been seeing and it's still happening you know uh, in the recent months as well yeah interesting i mean <laughs> the idea of we'll, we'll just reinvent ourselves again and again and again you know find some new network infrastructure maybe mix up our code a little bit but basically be the same people using similar infrastructure, maybe different IPs and domains and such, and it's similar code, even if they've changed up the hash values and just launched under a completely different name. And um, and now, yeah, it, it's hard to tie them back. So like super, super interesting and challenging for law enforcement to 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 reach them and, and, and uh, take them down, but um, good stuff. So we don't have much time left, but Andrea, Conti, right? Conti ransomware group, one of the probably easily the biggest story of what was it September when they mm -hmm. leaked something like that. They leaked their entire or not they um, a disgruntled uh, uh, affiliate who whatever why maybe didn't think it was going to pay enough money. Who knows exactly? But leaked their entire playbook, which was just a goldmine of intelligence. But we're seeing. Uh, new evolutions of, of activity coming out of Conti these days. So, so what can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So, so like like you said, it was I think uh, early August when the Conti playbook was leaked, and um, we you know started learning a lot about their processes, and and then as we learned a little bit about that, or as it was discussed sort of in the forums, the claims were really that only about thirty percent of their content was released, and we knew that there was probably a lot more there, uh, which you know it, it does make sense. Um, sort of, so this little storyline here is really just something that we had the um, ability to investigate internally. Um, at the end of August, I think early September, um, our Watchtower Hunters and Incident Response Team responded to a Conti attack against a Swiss multinational company. And this was, um, you know, I have to say on a, on a non-protected S1 endpoint, right? So um, uh, Sentinel-1 agent was not was not deployed. 
Um, but what we found is the attack, it actually involved over 4,500 lateral, lateral movement attempts, um, who, which were blocked by Sentinel-1 on, on the, you know, the remaining endpoints uh, within the environment. Um, and then, you know, we also blocked any um, uh, files that were attempted to, to be executed on those endpoints. And we cover all of that in depth in the Watchtower report, um, talking about the the toolkits that were used, the attack itself. Uh, we we have a cobalt strike beacon that we identified during the attack, um, and in a couple file names. So I think the cbc.exe um, was one of the file names that we found to be executing as, as a cobalt strike beacon, and then another file that we found start.exe, and we have the hashes and all the stuff provided in the the Watchtower report. Um, but that was found to be um, some code that was related to Bizarre Loader. So just a couple IOCs and TTPs there. It seems that there's some active uh, Conti work in the mix. Um, all 4,500 of those lateral movements were detected um, and mitigated by our agent, as I mentioned earlier. And then, of course, for all Sentinel-1 customers, we've, we've already hunted for these same IOCs and TTPs in your environment. Um, so that's, that's Conti this month. Yeah, so I mean, that's... We see an attack. That's the beauty of having Sentinel One, right? We see we see one attack, or or even we hear about it, uh, or attempted attack, and we can capture all these IOCs and, and behavioral IOCs and search globally to make sure everybody's safe. So that's what we do. Uh, so Dre, I guess the takeaway is uh, make sure you get your hands on the written report so you can get all the details, all the deep dive kill chain and, and IOCs and everything else that we found. Uh, and and you can use that to help uh, accelerate your own threat hunting. If you are a Vigilance Watchtower customer, you know that we've already done this for you and you're safe, uh, and we will continue to do this for you, at least safe from these threat actors. That That's what we do. Um, but yes, it's good reading. It's good knowledge. So we invite you all to make sure you have a copy of the report. And with that, I think it's about time to end this podcast. It's been a pleasure. We look forward to next month. And um, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And and uh, Drea and Ranjan, thank you for for all the great insight you guys gave us.